So you want to be a real estate investor, but where do you start? How do you know what information and sources to trust? That's where I come in. I'm Johnny Catani, and this is the Investor Relations Real Estate Podcast. Hey guys, real quick, before we start, go to investwithkatani.com and download my free ebook, Is Commercial Real Estate Recession Proof? Now to today's show. What's up, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Invest Relations Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Katani, and I'm joined today by Bob Couture. Bob is managing partner of CP Property Group, a realty and investment company with offices in Springfield, Massachusetts, and Hermosa Beach, California. He holds a Massachusetts real estate broker's license as CP Property Group and California real estate salesperson's license under Vista Sotheby's International Realty. Bob is a co-founder of the Western Mass Real Estate Investor Group. Additionally, he is a partner in Ironsides Property Group, a property management company in Springfield, Mass. As an investor himself, Bob has a personal portfolio of over 50 units and has helped clients achieve their real estate goals through apartment syndications, apartment purchases, and or multifamily, single-family properties. Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Absolutely. Glad to have you here. Um, kind of take us back to the beginning, though, before we jump into all the fun stuff. Um, you know, what were you doing before this, if anything, and what led you here? Yeah. Um, so thank you for having me on. It's an honor to be here. A little bit about me and, and how I got into real estate was uh, um, it was uh, I, I was working in aerospace and defense. So I was on the corporate side. Um, I was also a member of the National Guard. Uh, so I got had a couple of deployments. When I came back, um, I was a different person. The company was a different company and I knew I needed to get out on my own and trying to figure out what that was. And my wife was always telling me, get into real estate, get into real estate. And I kept hearing, be a real estate agent. And that's not what I wanted to do. But um, as I, I started to kind of double click on that, what, you know, what aspects of real estate and growing up, I was, I was in the construction side. My dad was a, um, interior exterior painter and carpenter. And so I was around all that. And uh, so I decided I would get into house flipping. And then I started doing house flipping and some houses didn't sell. So I ended up being an accidental landlord. And then that just started to, I like the mailbox money. And then that started leading from single family to small multis to apartments and then got into syndications. And, um, and then that's, that's how I got to here. Awesome. I love it. Um, pretty classic. A lot of people start with that single family and then, you know, kind of realize, especially if you're trying to scale, um, you know, the, the economies of scale make way more sense over here on the commercial side. Uh, one thing I'm curious about is you live in Hermosa beach, which, uh, we talked about, um, offline is, is one of my favorite places, big volleyball beach volleyball player, but you do a lot of your business in Massachusetts, which is quite literally on the other side of the U S. So how, how does that work out? How did yeah. that happen? Great question. The um, and I get that a, a lot too. Like, why Springfield? Why across the country? Um, I, I was born and raised in, in the Springfield area. My parents are still there. And so when I was when I left uh, aerospace and defense, and I kind of looked at the, at the money that I had, uh, it could go a lot further there. And then my dad was was built in mentor. He was semi retired, and and so he was able to help me kind of get this off the ground, look at property for me. Uh, helped me on some of the properties and it, it was it was great so I, for me it became 
And I think that's the beauty of real estate. It, it became a lifestyle play. It became not only doing the day-to-day -day business, but I could craft my life around the, the business. And, and so now I go back about once a month to check on the property management company, check on the properties, and I get to see my family. And, uh, and as they're getting older, that becomes more and more important to me. And uh, um, so, yeah, that, it, it became great. And, and then also, too, for, for California investors, the, the interesting byproduct of it is um, trying, you know, this is a, this market is a, um, an appreciation market where Springfield Mass is a cash flow market. So that now is able to offer cash flow to California investors instead of appreciation. Um, so it was, a, it was a nice trade. Awesome. I love that. Um, and th that's great that you can make that work. And of course, you know, having that sort of uh, organic boots on the ground when it's family is is very nice. Um, so we're, we again, chatted offline for a bit. Um, you're a huge proponent of affordable housing, which uh, is really starting to take over in conversation nationally. We obviously have a huge housing shortage as a whole, affordable housing even more so. Um, you know, was out to dinner last night with um, uh, a good friend of mine. And he was talking about how, you know, as an investor, yeah, it's really great if you invest in Phoenix and you have, you know, you're enjoying a nice 27% increase. But on the other side of that is a tenant who then has to, you know, assume that large of a, of an increase and, and somewhere something has to give. And you mentioned that you're working with Massachusetts to, you know, bring in some of your smaller properties as affordable housing. So kind of give us your take on all of that as a whole, and then, and then we'll kind of get more in the weeds. I think this is a, a fascinating topic and, and one like um, I kind of quipped that uh, uh, affordable housing is new again. Uh, it is it's because it's like you said, it's, it's getting a lot, a lot of attention. Um, the Build Back Better has allocated, uh, I think it's, it could be a trillion dollar, I'm not 100% sure on the numbers, but it was like something like a trillion dollar, it was quite a substantial amount of money. And, and then, um, what do we call it, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, their charter for 2022 is 50% of the loans that they make are, need to be mission-driven affordable housing. Um, and this kind of came like the, it became crystal clear to me that this, this was going to be very, very important. Uh, one, because that, that drumbeat about, Hey, it, it, it's hard to find affordable housing. Uh, families are struggling. Uh, individuals are struggling. Um, but we bought uh, a partner and I bought um, a low income housing tax credit building last year. And Usually when I shop a building to the banks or it's very, you know, business and looking at the numbers, bankers were falling over themselves to, to, to get this deal because that was part of their, their charter. I mean, I, I haven't had that happen in, I don't remember when that, that's ever happened, like falling over, They're like, yeah, yeah, maybe we'll loan, these are our rates, yeah, you can take it somewhere else. But this was, they wanted the deal because this is what, um, that, that was the charter for, for Fannie Mae. And, uh, um, so it was great. Um, and, I, and I'm seeing a lot more benefits in that um, before. And what I'm learning now, too, as we're, we're looking at looking at our current portfolio, 
how do we convert these to um, low income housing tax credit or affordable housing? How do we go about doing that? And um, because what we learned with the building that we bought is the pre we're not receiving any of the tax credits. We, we purchased this and those those credits had expired. But the 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 previous owner that did this got a great deal of money to revamp the building. So they end up with a great building uh, for uh, for for tenants in need and and then uh, get to in, enjoy some of the, the, the tax credits or if they're on the development side, developer fees and, and the like. So it is a complete win, 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 win for the tenants, win for the owner, win for the developer, win for the state. The winds are just just keep keep going, um, and but it, it was always this. It had to be at scale. It had to be big. Like anytime we were talking to consultants, it's like, well, if you don't have forty units, it's not going to really pencil. But now they're starting to do some programs where they're looking at getting with uh, owner operators or, or smaller mom and pop that that can also take advantage of, of that and. Um, and so that's become a very interesting world. It's almost its own vocabulary, the way that they're looking at this, these are underwritten. You go through a great, we went through an interview process essentially with the, the Department of Housing and Community Development. So kind of a lot going on there. Um, and, and something that's actually fascinating, it's a little bit of an aside, but I, I'm learning something of, uh, there was one in California where they took a class A building and converted it to affordable housing. And then essentially it came to the tenants and said, well, let, let us uh, validate your income. And if you're 120% or less of median income, we're going to reduce your rent. So I've never heard of a landlord or an ownership group come in and say, hey, we're going to, we just bought a class A building and we're going to lower your rent. That, that just seems counter, but they're receiving such benefits on the other side of it they're able to do that and to think that affordable housing now is not just you know a, um, a you know class b building or workforce housing that you're taking class a product for affordable housing wonderful wonderful thing to to, to hear and and having the ability to do that so um you know that we're, we're continuing to look into our area takes buildings that we have and and try to put that on the affordable Awesome. I love that. Yeah, you touched on a lot of really great points there. Um, one being obviously on the, you know, the operation ownership side of the incentives that the government's giving. Um, I be believe all the way up to the federal level. I read an article yesterday, Biden administration really trying to hone in on this affordable housing. What is it that is uh, keeping it so far behind in terms of uh, you know, this, like, I know, as a whole, the supply is behind, and that has a lot to do with development and in the past and, and all of those things. But specifically, the affordable housing, why, why is it so far behind in such a big issue? From what I'm learning, the, one is the red tape. And two, so, so we if for us to do it, we're there's no, we won't even be able to get in, we will be fighting to get into the, this round and the round will, will happen in uh, submissions are in November and then uh, they award um, or comment in like January or February. So that cycle is, is, is a long lead time and, and often um, uh, you get passed over on the, on the early rounds uh, and um, 
two, it's, it's a completely different language. So we have to use a consultant on it uh, to, um, uh, because they're taking a big risk on putting that money out to someone who may not understand how, how do you do it. Um, and so I, I think that it's, the, it's the, the red tape of it, the long lead time, um, and then uh, material, and then trying to get a pencil right now when materials are, are skyrocketed and everyone's busy. And um, so even with these, the consultant, our consultant uh, on this is, he's jammed. Like we're offering to do a lion's share of the work, the legwork. Um, but it's, it's, there's just not, there's not a lot of people out there. There's not a lot of people that understand it. And, and then to, for us to try to go do it, I thought, you know what, we, we're smart guys, we can go figure this out on our own. I, it's, it's, uh, even if we did, there would be no name recognition. So they're looking at this as who's this new guy and, and he's never done anything taking it A to Z. Um, so I think those are the contributing factors to it right now. That's so fascinating because it's such an issue, right? So you'd think that they would reduce that red tape, so to speak, to make it, it's almost like, you know, getting in your, they're getting in their own way. It's like, hey, there's an affordable housing crisis, but we're making it very difficult for anyone to build or convert to affordable housing. You're like, that, that, I'm sorry, that doesn't really make sense. Of course, we're talking about politicians, so not really sure how much of what they say really makes sense anyway. But, you know, it feels like a perfect storm, right? Like you said, with materials and everything. And then, of course, you've got, you know, rents aren't going to be nearly what they would be if you were building a class A that was not affordable housing. Um, aside from where you're at, are there any other markets you've seen that are because I read an article that the Biden administration jumping in, they're targeting certain markets. Um, any other markets you've identified for this, or are you really just just focus solely in in uh, Springfield? Right now, I'm, I'm focused in, in Springfield, and 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 that's become a little bit of a, a, a for lack of a better term, a, a hindrance on, on it because there's so much attention to the eastern part of the state. I mean. It's it's Boston or bust, and if you're if you're not touching Boston or around there, um, you know the, the western part of the state and most eastern uh, Massachusetts folks don't recognize <laughs> the, the other side. Uh, so the, it takes a little bit of time for the money to flow because also the, the rents it makes it harder for for it to pencil because the rents are significantly less than what what they are in Boston. Um, so for me, I, I've been focused in, in the Springfield area. That's where we have our our infrastructure. Um, I would love to look at other markets, but I'm, you know, to be quite frank, I'm still in the, the infancy of this and, and having to work with a, with a consultant. So it's a, the backyard that I know and, uh, and, and that I'll work with in, in the short term. And so what is it that the consultant uh, is, does, you know, you mentioned uh, there's a lot of lingo that don't understand. So I guess what makes it that you need the consultant and their role in all of this? The um, uh, the performa for the the project and and having and then how they look to use different pots of money um, and to bring that to I can do a performa on on a, on a project that's just a regular project or a heavy value add, but um, when it comes to factoring in 
soft debt and hard debt and, and, and those pieces and, and making it all come together, uh, that's, that's where his, his value is. Um, uh, and, as, and it's interesting to listen to, listen to him, but uh, even looking at the building that we just bought, we thought this is in really, really good shape and he's looking at it and it's like, it really doesn't pass the, the or not that it doesn't pass, but it would be eligible for a resyndication um, and getting more more dollars to redo the property, which I, I thought that, that was fascinating. Um, so those kind of ins and out, and then and then a lot of it is is the name. Uh, you know, his name is associated with projects that have, have uh, gone cradle to grave, and and then so that gives the confidence of the investors at the state level or, or federal to say, okay, yeah, we can do this. As someone who, who's brought it full circle. I hope that that'll be the case for us in the coming years that our name will be associated with, with, with that. But, uh, you know, at least on, on the first, first one or first couple that, uh, use that expertise. Interesting. That's very fascinating. And I guess that makes sense, right? Because when you are, uh, you know, in this space, typically, um, you know, I want to put this politely, the demographic can be slightly more challenging. Um, so that that makes sense, I guess, why, you know, they they want more established operators. Um, but it's a catch 22, of course, because in order to get the experience, you got to have it in the portfolio already. So it's like, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those interesting things, but what kind of stuck out about it to you and why you're you're jumping in on this? Um before I answer that, there was something that came to mind about like uh, when, when you, you made that great comment of you know, the government getting in its way. I'm, I have a conversation with the, the uh, mass housing next week, and this is for smaller projects. And I hope that that will be a more streamlined process and that allows someone like me to be able to do that for, uh, you know, not have to wait a year, um, not have to have a huge project to make sure that it pencils out. So, so we'll see on that. So uh, your question on, on uh, what made this project stand out, uh, a number of different reasons. One, it, it was a stone's throw away from our property management office. Uh, two, the, the buildings were in, in great shape. Um, and then it's a, it's, a, it's a sticky tenancy. So once they're, they're in, they're gonna be there for a good long time. And the beautiful byproduct of this that we didn't, when we first underwrote it, we wrote, underwrote it with the current rents with just uh, increases in inflation. What we came to find out, is, and, and there was a, a property management company that had been put in place a year before because the, the current owner was falling out of compliance for the building. And so those guys came in to kind of save it, clean it up, and they hired a consultant on it. And what the consultant helped them with is, all right, you're not just looking at, at individuals that meet the under 60% of median income. You could also find that by putting a subsidized tenant in. So let's say for example, uh, if someone at, at 70, 60% of median income, they could, they could, their rent could only be $700 a month. And, but if someone had a subsidy and their part of the rent was 700, but the subsidy could bring them to 14, well, one, they meet the criteria of uh, being under the median income. And then two, you can get almost, you're getting double the rent or, or significantly higher rent. So that, I mean, the, the property had penciled out regardless, just on the increases 
with the current rent. But now that they were putting in subsidized tenants, it was really blowing that out of the water and it, it's become remarkable. And, and, uh, um, and so you're serving two, two communities there and, and also serving yourself and your investors. So that was a great win and it was a great, um, uh, it was a fascinating thing. And, and that consultant, was, she was worth her weight in gold. Like the, the fact that she identified that and she's also identifying, uh, you're supposed to recertify every year, but if tenants are staying, she's getting us to a point where once we're certified, we're only have to recertify folks, new folks that come in and not go through all the administrative, you know, trying to chase someone down for pay stubs every year, um, that, that can be uh, challenging. Uh, so at any rate, it was, it was uh, amazing to, to see that and it, it's, helped the, it's helped the bottom line in, uh, considerably. Wow, that's awesome. I didn't even uh, realize that that uh, was a potential um, in that space in, in terms of having the subsidized tenants. So where are, how do you find them? You know, is it the, the consultant who's doing all of this? Is there some sort of marketing? Is it the state who places them? Um, you know, because they obviously know where the, the affordable housing is or, you know, what is that process like? So for on the subsidized tenants, uh, uh, they, they are, a, a majority of them are coming uh, to the property management company directly. They'll see an advertising for it, they'll ask, do you take section eight? And, and then they'll go through the interview process. Um, and then similar with uh, some of, some will be on uh, those that are under the median income, may have an agency that will reach out and you know, seeing uh, what properties are available. But uh, for the most part, it's on it's the the responsibility is on the individual to, to seek out uh, some of those properties. Awesome. I love it. Um, so I, I guess uh, one question I have, uh, you know, like you mentioned before, it's hard to underwrite the grants and different things that come in in order to, you know, make these deals actually pencil. What are those grants? So what, what does that look like in terms of what the government is giving you and, and how you access it in, in that? Yeah, that, that is stuff that I, I am, I'm learning uh, right now and, and hearing. So uh, uh, you hear it a lot as, as in soft debt and hard debt. So the soft debt is like a grant. Uh, so as long as you, you, the, the property continues to operate correctly, that uh, that grant uh, won't have to be paid back. Um, and then some of the, the other debt uh, that, that will have, you know, uh, will be amortized and, and, and you're, you're satisfying that. Um, so with the, an affordable housing one, if you're re-syndicating and going out, uh, I'm not gonna have this completely right, but I think it's, it's over the overarching, uh, I'll, I'll give it a, as a simplistic and, and overarching way of how, how it operates. Um, so you go, you, you are, you are not the owner of the tax credit anymore. Once you, you, you put the money into the building, that tax credit gets sold out to market to big corporations that need the tax credit. So then you, now you, you kind of given up away your property. They're taking the advantage of the tax credit. The property has to continue to maintain and stay in compliance. And at the end of that 15 year period, you get the property back and with almost no debt. Now the owner 
also could be involved in the development stage of that and, and receiving development fees. Um, uh, that's what makes it very attractive. I mean, the way that the, the these programs are made is you're getting you you make your equity on the development upfront, and and then then the the investor gets advantage takes advantage of the tax credit. Interesting. Okay. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. What an interesting model. Okay. Now, see, now we've fully explained why you need the consultants. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a lot of uh, zigzagging and, and things all over the place that just do not apply in, in sort of the, you know, the, the normal uh, operation of, I guess, of a, of a syndication or like apartments. So. It's like learning a foreign language, uh, have their own language uh, of everything. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Awesome. I love that. Well, as we kind of wind down here, I've got five questions that I ask um, of my guests. It's the final five. Um, so we'll jump into those, um, but very much appreciate that insight. Like I said, um, don't talk too much about it, but certainly, um, you know, it's, it's starting to come to the forefront and something that, um, you know, I think everyone needs to pay attention to. Um, but uh, we'll get into it here. What's the best advice you've gotten from a mentor? Uh, don't stop buying. Nice. I love it. Um, kind of along that, is anything changing in this economic as we kind of are shifting uh, in your guys' strategy at all? Or still just... Um, uh, yeah, uh, consider, so although I just said, don't stop buying, it's the, the, the desire, the need, the, the, um, for more property from other investors is getting us to look at actually selling some, some, and, uh, in anticipation of, um, the, the ability to go out and buy some more, uh, maybe in the next year or two. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, as potential, I guess, distressed assets could come on the market. It's good to have that liquidity so you can jump on those because those are going to go fast. Um, what is it about your career that makes you feel like you're fulfilling your why? I get to see my parents every month. I love that. That's so awesome. Uh, favorite non-real estate or investment related book? Uh, the Four Agreements. Nice. Nice. Great book. I haven't read it in so long. That needs to uh, recirculate, I think. Uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh, uh, perseverance. Nice. That's a good one. I love that. I haven't heard that one yet. We need it in this industry, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. Someone once uh, answered with underwriting, which I thought was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Which of course, you know, listen, some people have that gift and some don't. So uh, awesome. Last one. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you and learn more if they want? I still pick up my phone. So 310-922-5436 or it could always email me at bob at cp-property group. Awesome. Bob, thank you so much for your time and all of your insight. I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It was an honor to be here with you and your audience, Jonathan. And uh, I hope we keep in touch. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Listen, guys, I know it's cliche, but please don't forget to like, subscribe. Please leave a review. Would love to know what you guys think of the episodes. 
And while you're here still listening, don't forget to go to investwithkatani.com and download my free ebook, Is Commercial Real Estate Recession Proof? Thanks so much.